Lord, I want to thank you for grace and mercy. I want to thank you for uh, my wife, Sandy, who has, she has put up with me for 23 years. And I could not think of a, an, another person in my life that's more important. I want to thank you in front of this community for her. Thank you for this gathered group of saints this morning, Lord. And I pray that the word that you have for us would kind of sink deep down in and help us to see ourselves a little better and to see Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, Steve, if you would put the first verse up there. This is 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. That we love, that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, a few weeks ago, we had looked at that verse and we kind of unpacked it in, in light of the gospel message. And so we kind of wrestled with this idea of how deep and wide and amazing the love of God is to his people, to his church, and how that love has been expressed through Jesus Christ. And so in these two little verses here, this is like the amazingness of God, the holy smokes of the gospel message. This, If we took the entire Bible and we just kind of boiled it all down, made it nice and neat and just kind of... And and just, just took it and, and brought it to its very essence. I think that we can get to this point right here because it's all in there. It's, it's, it's sin, it's Jesus, it's atonement, it's the Trinity, it's ascension, it's the resurrection, it's, it's redemption. It's all there, the gospel message, right here in these two verses. And this is, this is a very, it's very important for us to understand the gospel, what God has done for us, what God is doing to us, the love that God has for us. There it is. But then right after, now this is verses 9 and 10, but then right after verse 10 comes verse, one person is on the ball. That's, thank you, Betsy. Well, comes verse 11. So let's go to verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I, I agree. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought, you know, for me, that seemed, that just kind of rings a little flat for me. It kind of, it's kind of like he blew up the big, this big balloon with this amazing theological truth of who God is and who we are in relation to God. And then in this verse, in verse 11, he takes the pin and he starts to just kind of let out the air a little bit. And I'm just like, Really? Like, like that's, that's what you follow up with this amazing truth with this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. But what's going on here, and, and, and that's why I've, I've chosen to kind of unpack this a little bit this morning. What's going on here is, is this is the test. This is the rubber meeting the road. If you believe all that God stuff and that Jesus stuff and that stuff that God so loves us and, and, and all of that, if you really believe that, then this is what it looks like as it plays itself out. This is what it looks like as, it, as it's, it's lived out. And this, will, this determines whether or not you think the gospel is important in your life or it's just some superficial bunch of words on, on paper or it's, a, it's an hour on a Sunday morning where you come and you, and, and you do church. This is the rubber meeting the road. 
you know, this is kind of the way Scripture always kind of presents itself. It, it takes us on this roller coaster ride. It reveals very deep truths, beautiful, amazing truths. And these truths, they bring us up to the mountaintop. And, and you're just looking out and you just feel amazing. And God reveals himself to us. And you're just, you can hear the angels, oh, and they're just singing over you. But it doesn't let us stay there on the mountaintop. The scripture will always bring us back down into the valley, back down where the work needs to be done. It doesn't let us stay there. The scripture will force us, it will force us to pay attention to who God is. And it will also force us to pay attention to who we are. That's the truth of what the scriptures offer. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, Dennis, we've been spending a lot of time in this whole love each other thing. We've been talking about this over and over again. Do we really need to talk about loving each other again? You know, I just want to pray for Eileen right now. I, I have that sense in my spirit. Um, and so we're going to just take a moment and we're going to offer up uh, prayers for her. Um, God, I pray that by your grace, whatever's going on with her, Lord, that you would watch over her and protect her. Lord, I pray that you would release whatever it is that's, that's uh, being oppressive in her body right now, God. We pray for your grace and we pray for your mercy upon her. Amen, Lord. Thank you for hearing us. Amen. Good? Want some water? No. Okay. Want to put the fans on and make it a little bit cooler in here? Or two? Put the fans on. All right. So like as, as I was saying, you might be thinking, well... How much of this love one another, Dennis, are we going to have to deal with? Maybe even when you opened the email this past week and you read the verse, like, again, really? We have to love each other? Yet yeah, we know we have to love each other. I mean, we, I, personally, I'm sure you, you like the whole um, the, the, the gospel stuff and how God loves us and how God has given us Jesus and how we've been forgiven. But how much more time do we need to spend on... I have to love you, you have to love me, we all have to love each other. It sounds like a kid's song that I was going to start right there, but it really wasn't. And, and so, how much more of this? Now, honestly, I actually felt the same way. I got into the text this, this past week, and I'm like, really? Like, again, with the whole love each other thing, I mean, how much time am I going to have to spend on this? But all that I am doing is following the letter. All I'm doing is following what John has written over and over again in his letter. And if it was, if was, this guy is a pastor, he's writing to the church. If it was important for him to keep writing this and keep reminding the church, then I'm going to say that it's important for us to keep hearing it. And if God so included this into the scripture, it must be important enough for us to keep whittling away at it. Now, this thing that we keep coming back to and floating around in, in my brain anyway, is that our faith, our Christianity is not just something that we're supposed to think about. It's not something that we just contemplate or have conversations about. Our faith is a life that's been gifted to us. And that life is to be lived out in the entire world in front of everyone so they can see it. I took Megan to have her wisdom teeth pulled on 
Thursday, and we're sitting in the Yukon medical dental place. And I, I walk, as I walked in, I saw a guy sitting in the middle of the waiting room, and he had a Bible on his lap. Now, us pastors, we can pick that up, like, really quick. Like, oh, that's the Bible. And, and, so, um, and, and so we went, and, and we sat down, and we did our thing. And at one point, he was on the phone, and he's in the middle of the waiting room, in the middle, not in the corner, on the phone, and he's praying with someone. And he's invoking the name of Jesus over and over again. And at one point, he puts his hand up in the air and he says, in the name of Jesus. Now, he's not like being obnoxious or anything like that. I mean, he was keeping it at at a lower tone. But this guy in the middle of the waiting room is praying with someone. He doesn't care who is watching him. He doesn't care what people are thinking. He's living his faith out in the midst of this, this, this waiting room at the dentist office. I, I thought about would I do that? I would probably pray with somebody, but I would get up and I would probably went out into the hall. And it would be because I would want the privacy. This guy did not care what people thought. There's a story in the Gospels. It's titled The Transfiguration. And it's when Jesus takes a couple of the boys up to the top of the mountain. And, and something amazing happens up there. He, he, he changes and he's, he's bright white. And, and Moses and Elijah show up, which is pretty cool. And he has this conversation with them. And the guys get a little freaked out. And at the end, Peter's like, okay, Jesus, we're going to build we're gonna build some tabernacles. We're going to build you a shelter. We're going to build three of them. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then the next sentence in that story says, as they were coming down the mountain, as they were coming down the hill, Peter wants to stay up there. Peter wants to stay on the mountaintop. He wants to commemorate this amazing spiritual experience that he just took part in. But Jesus, in in his actions, says something like, no, Pete, we're we're not going to stay up here. We're going to head down the mountain because Things down there, things down there are kind of broken and, and messed up. And there's, and there's broken people that need me. In fact, there's a young boy down there waiting for me that the guys can't heal. And he needs my help. Peter wants to stay up on the mountain and revel in the spiritual experience. Jesus says, now nah, we, we got we to gotta get to work. It's a story about Jesus in action. Jesus putting the rubber to the road. Francis Chan does an amazing, he gives it, he brings it all into kind of modern day terminology. And I forget the, the exact details of how he worded it. So I've kind of made my, my own up to in, in the vein of his example. It would be like me telling my son, Ethan, Ethan, I want you to clean your room. It's a mess. And then the next night I come home and I walk upstairs into his room and there he is in the middle of this messy room with his friends. And they're all sitting in the squalor that is his room. And I say, Ethan, I told you to clean his room. And he looks at me gently with with love in his eyes. And he says, oh, silly father. We, my friends and I, we've been talking about cleaning my room. And we've, we've, we've talked about different ways in which we can accomplish cleaning my room. And, and not only that, we've prayed to God that he would give us the strength and the opportunity to clean my room. And then, and then, and then, Father, we, we found online Amazon has a book, and and, and it says cleanliness is, is next to godliness. Seven easier steps for a cleaner room, and we've all purchased this book, and now we're going to sit around and read this book and discuss these seven steps of cleaning my room. Oh, silly, silly, Father, we have yet to clean my room. Well, in my house, that dog just don't hunt. I mean, I tell my children to do something; I, I kind of expect them to do it. 
But that's how we sometimes take our faith. We gather around, we talk about it, we huddle up, and we don't do anything about it. If our praying and fasting and worshiping and church going and Bible reading and silence and solitude and contemplating and meditating, if they don't lead us to a place of living it out, if they don't lead us to a place of action, then we are not following the gospel that Jesus came to die for, to give us. Because it is about our action. Jesus says to Peter on the mountain, he says, hey, Pete, man, I, I love your heart, man, and, and, and thank you very much, but, but we, we got to get, get down there. There's, there's work that needs to be done. There's things that we need to, be do, to, to do. There's, there's people that need to be healed. There's, there's people that need to be saved. They need to hear the good news because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we got to get to work. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I believe that we do the scripture very wrong when we try to force it to say, hey, do you want, do you want a blessing? Do you, do you want a full and abundant life? Do you want victory and do you want joy? Well, then you just have to sit there and just receive it. Just let it wash over you. And if you're not receiving those things, the abundant life, then you're obviously not letting it wash over you. You're not just, you're not letting God just, just give you all this free stuff. I don't see that, that passive expression of faith in the scripture. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that, that we're to live this life of, of being passive. What I do see is if you are not living, if there is not action in your life about your faith, then you have yet to surrender yourself to the transformation and the power of the gospel. If you are not living the scripture, then you have not surrendered yourself to allow yourself to be transformed by the power of the gospel. There's nothing passive about our faith. I'm not talking about earning our salvation. Please hear me in that. I'm talking about faith without works is dead, as James would say. We... I think in our culture, I believe in our culture, we really like the, the culture of, of improvement. We like to improve. We like self-improvement. Many books are written on that. And we even like the gospel of improvement. But Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with improving yourself. It has everything to do with transformation. That you would be transformed into something very different. And so if you believe the gospel, if you believe the scripture then you have no choice but to live in the way that the scriptures tell us. I mean, if you really believe it, if you believe something, if you say you believe something and you live counter to that belief, we're hypocrites. We're liars. If I say I, I really believe that eating right and exercising every day is the most important thing to do and I don't do it, who cares? It doesn't make any difference doesn't do anything. Our faith, our faith is the outworking of the truth that we say we believe. It's the way, it's the way many of, of, the, of the epistles, the letters are written. They, they, they introduce a theological perspective. This is who God is. This is what God has done for us. This is our position in life because of Jesus Christ. Now this is what it looks like when we live it. 
This is what it looks like when we actually have the rubber meet the road. And if you really believe that God loves you, if you really believe that, then there's no other option than for us to live out that love with each other. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love each other. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, hey, listen, all you need to do is try to be a good person. Try, to, try not to sin. You know, go to church every once in a while, and, and, then, and then it's going to be okay. What the scripture says is that you have been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. And when we fail to live into that, we, we, we miss the grace of what, of what the gospel message is. The grace that God has offered to us. If we really believe this stuff, this stuff, then we will live into what the scripture teaches. All right, so let's, um, yeah, let's, let's unpack this verse a little bit. Remember, John is writing this letter because he believes that the church can experience joy, true, lasting joy, if we live the faith that we say that we believe in. Uh, and, and our journey of faith will pit us against spiritual forces in this world, dark spiritual forces, and we have to be ready. We have to know how we can stand firm against those spiritual forces. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give a disclaimer here before we go any farther. I do not like where this sermon is going. I, I don't like the things that I'm about to say. They, I, they're painful for me to talk about. I didn't want to talk about it. In fact, I told God that I was going to swap to a different religion this week. But he said, no, suck it up and just handle this. And then he told me that I had to use myself as an example and not you. So I will just use me. I am talking about me. I am not talking about any of you here. This morning, you all have a clean pass. So don't worry about it. Rest assured, this is, this is me. I'm the example. I am a Christian. I try to follow Jesus the best I can. And as a Christian, I live in this world. And there are other Christians that live in this world. And some of them come to our church. And, and some come to go, to go to different churches in town and, and, and around the world. In fact, many of the Christians, many of the Christians actually come to or go to a church. But the thing about those, those Christians is this. Sometimes I find some of them, not all of them, not even many of them, but some of them, sometimes I find them a little challenging to get along with. Some of those other Christians, if I'm, if I'm being honest, and again, this, this is about me, not about you. If I'm being honest, sometimes I, I, I find them a little challenging. Some of them I have found to be just a royal pain in my tuchus. And, and now that's a, that's a, um, a Yiddish word for, for neck, a, a pain in my neck. And, and, and some of them I, I, I just don't want to be around. I don't really care for them too, too much. Again, I'm, I'm just, I'm being honest. I'm just keeping it real. But in the reality of that, the reality of what's in my heart I have to deal with the reality of this verse. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And so, you know, and the problem with this is from here on into the beginning of chapter five, John keeps talking about this love for the brothers and the sisters that we're to love our brothers and sisters, love our brothers and sisters over and over and over again. We know God by loving. We know God by loving. And so what am I supposed to do with this? 
What am I supposed to do when, when that person or those people, they, they cross my path and now I have to deal with them. I have to actually interact with them somehow. And what do I do when they, they rub me the wrong way? Well, well, according to this, I guess I have to love them. I don't really have, I don't see a lot of wiggle room here. It says, I ought to love the brothers and the sisters. Well, I'm going to ask, I have to ask myself the question, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Some of these people I don't even really care for. Well, I guess I can start by asking myself a question. Dennis, do you really believe this stuff, this, this book? Do you really believe this whole Jesus and this gospel and this grace stuff? I'm going to answer, yeah, I do. I, I believe it. And so if I believe it, then I better live it. Then I have to live this stuff out. That's the troubling part of the scripture for me. I don't get to wait until I feel like I want to love them. I don't get to wait until they deserve my love. The Bible says that I have no choice but to love them. I'm called to love them. You know that word where it says we also ought, that word ought in the Greek uh, it has the meaning of I'm indebted to. I'm indebted to loving these people who get on my nerves, who, who just kind of rub me the wrong way. And so I feel like I'm kind of backed up into a corner a little bit here. I feel like I've put myself in a very fine predicament because how am I supposed to get this done? I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the scripture calls me to do, but, but how does that all kind of work its way out? Well, I think I can go to the, the first line here. Dear friends, since God so loved us. And now, I'm, John and I, we've been spending a lot of time together over this past year. So I'm going to personalize that, that first uh, line there. And I'm going to say, I'm going to read it like this. Dear Dennis, since God so loved you. Since God so loved you. I, it seems that I need to start with, with me. And so when I'm aggravated, when I'm frustrated with somebody, when they've rubbed me the wrong way, when I've become annoyed by them, I need to start with, with me. But you see, I know me. I know me quite well. And when I get frustrated at somebody or annoyed with them, it's because they have done something wrong. And I would not be annoyed with them if they did not do something wrong. If they, did, if they would just get it together... And know what my expectations are. And meet my expectations. We would have no problems at all. And so how can I start with me when it's your, their fault. Not your fault. Their fault. Well the gospel says. Maybe you need to look at you. Dear Dennis. Since God so loved you. So God loves me. And maybe if I dig into that a little bit deeper, it might set me on the right path, the path that I'm looking for. But, but, but wait, I keep coming back to this whole thing that when I'm annoyed with somebody, when I've been frustrated, when I've been hurt, when I've been wronged, it's their fault. They're the weenie. And if they would just get it together, things would be much easier. We would all get it. We would all, we would all live happily ever after. Amen. But the scriptures tell me to start with me. 
And so I'm going to start with me. God loves me. But you know, my, my nature, I was born with this, this, this nature. It's, it's, a, it's a sin nature. And I thank Jesus that he came into my life and he saved me. He redeemed me. I've been forgiven. I will spend eternity with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. But, but I have this old sin nature that kind of battles inside of me. And I have to continually deal with this, this sinful, unsaved, old nature, Dennis. And sometimes that, that Dennis rears his ugly, shiny head. And, 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 and he does things that he's not really proud of. The Bible has a word for that old sin nature, Dennis. It calls it self. And in fact, my, myself, myself is, is the root of all my sin, of all the evil that I do in my life. It's the root of my brokenness. It's my self-will and my self-trust, my self-love and self-centeredness. My self-assertion and my self-conceit, my self-indulgence, my self-pleasing, my self-seeking, my self-pity, my self-sensitiveness, my self-defiance, my self-sufficiency, my self-righteousness. That's the ugly description of my self. And maybe some of those words may ring true for, for yourself, but we're not here to talk about yourself. We're here to discuss myself. And so I'll go back to myself. And that's what sin has done to my myself. It's what it looks like on me. My self-centeredness. <laughs> I like to be the center. I mean, I mean, because I should be, because it really is all about me anyway. And my self-assertion. You see, I want things. And I'm going to do things to make sure I get the things that I want. And if you would just follow my lead, things would be much better. It would be much easier. My self-conceit. <laughs> I am very quick to defend myself and very quick to condemn what I don't like in yourself. My self-indulgence. You know, there's certain things that you should not be doing, but you just mind your own business and let me live my own life. My self-pleasing and my, my self-seeking. Oh, <laughs> Of course, it's about me, my self-sufficiency. Don't worry about it. I got this. I don't need your help. My self-righteousness. Of course I'm right. Duh. Scriptures would say, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body that's subject to death? That's who myself is. See, the gospel illuminates my true self and it lets me see who I really am if I'm willing to take time to start with my self. And that very, in the, in, in the brokenness and in the darkness and in the selfish selfness of my self, God loves me. God loves me. In all of that muck and mire and nastiness, God loves me. And he sent Jesus to save me from myself. It's the beauty of the gospel. 
And once I see what myself really looks like and what it really is, then no one can insult me. No one can offend me. No one can hurt me. It's impossible for someone to say something or to do something to me that can offend me or hurt me because I am much worse than they even think I am. Because I know myself. See, when I see myself in the light of the gospel, I'm already really as, as low as I could possibly go and nobody can force me any lower. So before I defend myself, maybe I need to look at it first and see it for what it really is and then understand God still loves me. No matter what, God still loves me. But I don't get to stop there because there's another part of this. See, dear friends, since, since God so loved, he loved me, I am indebted to loving others. You know, what I've noticed in my own life is when I've raised myself above yourself, it's very easy for me to look down upon you. In, in my own self-righteousness, because that's one of myself, because, duh, I'm always right. But when I look at my true self, it's, it's so much lower. It's, 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 almost, it's almost groveling in the dirt of sin. And if I, if I begin there, then all I can do is look up. And I look up and I see you, and that's a very different posture than looking down upon someone. I'm not sure I like that posture. I've always thought more highly of myself. But I thank God for Jesus that he has shown me who I really am and that he still loves me. See, when the gospel is at work in my heart, I begin to understand just how much I really am loved in spite of myself. And then I'm able to begin to see the person. No longer do I see the actions of their self, but I get to see the person. I see the soul. I see the brokenness. See, I realize I am a victim of sin, and so are they. I am no better off than they. My self is broken and dark and ugly, and so is their self. But if I can look with the love of God that he has on me, I can look beyond the action and see the person. I thank the Lord for the clarity that the gospel brings, that I could see beyond yourself and see the person. Because that's exactly how, Jesus, or how God sees us through Jesus. He looked down and he saw all of this brokenness and he saw the actions and he saw the, 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 the testable behavior that we have. And he looked beyond all of that and he saw the person and he loved us and he sent Jesus to save the person. God looked upon me and he said, that's a soul that I want to save. That's a, that's a heart that I want to heal. That is a life that is worth. That, that's a life that is valuable. I want that life. 
And he said it among, over every one of you. That's a soul that I, that, I, that I believe is worth saving. That's a heart that's worth being healed. That's a life that's worth being lived that has so much value if they would only understand. I want to pour out my love upon them. God was, was eager to forgive us. He was eager. He's given it all that we can be forgiven. That's, that's a huge God-sized love. And when we begin to understand that, when we begin to receive that, we can then begin to love each other. I can begin to love you. Hopefully, you can begin to love me. One um, ancient philosopher, he, he once said, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. The communion table is this beautiful picture of the love of God. That God so loved us. But it's also a weighty reminder of, of what we're called to as, as the church. That we would love each other. And so as you come to the table this morning, I would ask that you would kind of let that marinate in your own self. As I've exposed mine to you. that you would begin to receive the love of God. And that love just would not stay anchored in your own heart and soul, but that you would ask the Lord to show you how to release it among the brothers, the sisters, and in the world. So come as you are ready, and we will take the bread and the cup together. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take this, all of you, and eat it, for this is my body that has been broken for you. And when supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise, and he gave the cup to his disciples and said, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is my blood that has been shed for you. Our Father in heaven, I pray that we, your church, would understand how much that you love us in spite of us. I pray that we would be able to understand the sacrifice that you have made to redeem us and to welcome us home. I pray that love would no longer be, be a, a philosophy to be contemplated, but that it would be action for your church. That we would begin by loving you, by loving each other, 
And that love would explode beyond these walls. I pray that the grace and the mercy of the gospel would reveal our true self to each one of us. But not in condemnation, but in freedom, grace, and mercy. Thank you that you have so loved us. Now empower us to go and do the same with each other. We come before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week.